Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers and industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. The story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about Emir. Today's episode combines elements from a number of legends and stories about this legendary giant for dramatic effect. King Gilvy breathed heavily as he crested the hill. He paused for a moment, leaning his hands on his knees and looking out over the landscape. Before him was a great ring of mountains enclosing a fertile, green valley. As the Viking king gazed down at the valley, his heart leapt. At the base of the mountain was a hall set within a large stone gate. It was built of polished oak, and Gilvy could see that the roof was shingled in golden battle shields. This had to be it— the place he had been looking for, the Hall of the Slain, the home of the gods, Valhalla. As Gilvy stood on the ridge catching his breath, a strange feeling of unease overcame him. Perhaps it was just his vision playing tricks on him after the long journey, but something about the landscape seemed unnatural. Across the valley, Gilvy could see the blue of a mountain lake, twinkling like a large eye. A mountain peak jutted from the earth, forming the septum of a gargantuan nose. Just below that lay the valley, a round, wide depression, like a massive, gaping mouth. The more he stared, the more certain he was that this was unlike any landscape he'd ever seen. Little did he know, this geography didn't just resemble a face, it was one. He was looking into the countenance of the most fearsome giant of all, Emir.
Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week, we dive into history's most legendary monsters. In telling the stories of their origins, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creations of these beasts, where they come from, what they symbolize, and how they expose some of humanity's greatest fears. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Today we're discussing Ymir, a primordial giant who figures prominently in the Norse creation myth. As the first being to exist in Norse cosmology, Ymir gets to the very heart of their culture and belief system. Long before the Vikings, before the first man, even before the gods, there was Emir. Both male and female, Emir was said to be the ancestor of the Yatun, or Frost Giants, an ancient race of malevolent beings who inhabited the frozen realm of Jotunheim. The Yatun were seen as beings of stupidity, chaos, and cruelty. They're constantly at war with the gods who represent wisdom, order, and civility. As the progenitor of all Yatun, Emir is the ultimate representation of that wild power and potential. The word Emir in Old Norse can be translated as scream. He is thus the scream of creation, of creating the terrible chaos that brings wonder and destruction. Gilvi leaned on his walking stick as he approached the massive stone gate at the base of the mountain. He had discarded his armor in favor of a simple cloak, hoping to appear like a harmless old traveler in need of rest. But he was surprised to find that the gate had been left open. Gilvy peeked inside the hall to see a great company of armored warriors feasting at a long table. Beautiful maidens walked between the tables, filling the warriors' cups with ale. None of the revelers seemed to notice Gilvy, none save three figures who sat shrouded in darkness at the back of the room. They beckoned to him. As Gilvy neared the figures, he heard the hall go silent and realized that all the warriors and maidens had turned to watch him. He gazed up at the three figures hidden within their dark cloaks and stammered out, my lords, I come seeking knowledge. I desire to know if there are any wise men within this hall. In a clear, bright voice, the man to the left replied, I am Har. Beside me sits Janhar, and beyond him is Thridi. Ask of us what you would, and we shall answer as best we can. Gilvy cleared his throat summoning his courage to ask the question he had prepared. I wish to know how it all began. The earth, the heavens, even the gods. What was the beginning and what was before it? 
In a voice like thunder, the man in the center began to speak. Long ago, the world was empty. To the north was Nilhamer, a frozen land of mist and darkness. To the south was Moosepelt, a place of everlasting fire where molten lava flowed without end. In between these lands of ice and fire was a place called Gingnun Gagap, a yawning void of nothingness. At the center of Nilhamer was Fera Gelmeth, a frozen whirlpool of ice and wind. Eleven poisoned rivers sprang forth from Ferragelmeth and over time made their way toward the void, bringing with them massive glaciers of salty ice. Time went by, more time than can be fathomed by a mortal. Eventually, the glaciers floated close to the fires of Moosepelt, and the heat from the flames began to melt the ice. Water dripped from the ice and turned to frost, and from that frost was formed a giant. This was Emir, the first of the Yatun. Emir took the shape of a man, but they were neither male nor female. They were a craggy, uncouth being, with toes like hills and feet like mountains. When they stood upright, it was like gazing up at the sky. Once they were formed completely, Emir let out an incredible scream, and for a moment, the fires of Moosepelt flickered with the force of their breath. Emir stood and watched as another figure began to emerge from the mists of Gingnun Gagap. It was a gargantuan cow. She had hoofs like massive stone cliffs and eyes bigger than the largest lake. She had also been formed by the gradual drip of glacial ice. Her name? Aidenbla. The cow laid down before Emir and offered up her udders, unleashing a raging torrent of milk. Emir drank from this river of milk, and Aidenbla licked at the salty glacial ice to sustain herself. This continued for three days, with Emir drinking the milk and Aidenbla licking the ice. On the first day, the cow's licking revealed a man's head sprouting up from the ice as though it had grown there. On the second day, a torso joined the head, and by the third day, the cow licked free the entire body of a man. This was Buri, the ancestor of the gods. Once Buri had been freed from the ice, he stood and stretched his new limbs. Emir let forth an unearthly howl of rage. Emir stomped over to the newly formed man and lunged at him, perhaps hoping to squeeze the life out of this new creature who had intruded on his solitude. Buri dodged out of the way, and Emir ran headfirst into a glacier cracking the great slab of ice in two and letting out a cry of pain. Again and again, the giant leapt at Buri, but each time Buri managed to avoid their grasp. Eventually, Emir gave up 
and plodded back to the massive cow where they lay down and promptly went to sleep. Buri sat down on a block of ice and regarded the giant. Now that they were no longer trying to kill him, Buri could see that Emir was a fascinating creature. As he watched, he noticed that the giant was sweating. From their gargantuan armpits, drops of sweat the size of small lakes were forming. One drop grew so large that it broke free from the giant's skin and tumbled downward, landing with a great splash on the empty gray ground. Buri peered down into the great pool of sweat. An enormous, hairy man lay in the pungent liquid. Buri held out his hand to help the man up. The two stood and regarded each other. A second enormous splash interrupted this greeting. Turning, Buri saw that another massive bead of sweat had fallen from the giant's armpit. At the center of this one was an enormous woman. She stood up and approached the male giant who stood beside Buri. The two looked each other up and down. Without speaking a word, the male and female giant joined hands and walked off. Buri didn't have more than a moment to reflect on this when he heard a thunderous sound. With great effort, he climbed up onto the giant's torso. From there, he could see what was making such a ruckus. The giant was rubbing its enormous legs together in his sleep. In between the two legs, more beads of sweat began to form, and in each bead was the shape of another giant. Buri smiled to himself. The time of quiet nothingness had ended. The age of gods and giants had begun. Up next, the war between chaos and order begins. Now back to the story. According to Norse mythology, the giant Ymir was the first living being. They were followed by the cow Aidenbla and then by Buri, the first god. The Norse word Buri can be translated to mean progenitor, a fitting name when you consider that Buri is the ancestor of all the gods. Ymir plays a role in their lineage as well, though it's never explained how. Buri has a son, Bor, who is also a god. Two of the giants who emerged from sweat spawn a female giant named Bestla. Together, Bor and Bestla have three children. It's one of those children who would go on to figure prominently in the story of Emir the Giant. The fight between Emir and their own great-grandson is one of the most important stories in the Norse canon. It's the first battle in the war between chaos and order. Bestla gazed upon her three sons as they wrestled and tumbled among the forest of hairs that grew on Emir's head. Odin tackled his brother Vile, and the two boys fell laughing against the giant's scalp. Bestla hated that they insisted on running around on the giant. Ymir had a temper and had been known to squash anyone who woke them from their sleep. When the boys were small, she could keep them far away from Ymir, but now they were practically men. 
How had that happened? There were no days or nights to mark the passage of time, only endless, empty grayness. But time had passed, for she too had been a child once, birthed of the giant Bultor. Now she was an old woman, and her sons were practically men and far too strong-willed to listen to warnings from their fragile old mother, especially Odin. As the boys raced past, Bestla reached out and grabbed Odin's arm. She chastised him. How many times have I asked you to find another place to run around? Why must you do it here and make me fear for your lives? Odin scowled. Why should we be cowed by the giant? They try to crush us whether we tread upon them or not. Even if we spent our time shivering in Nilhamer, they'd still come after us. But we are many, and they are just one. Bestla frowned, worried by her son's words. She had heard him speak this way from time to time in the past, but had always believed him to be joking. Odin continued, I have had a vision, mother, a vision of what the world can be, full of light and color, full of living things. I know I can create such a world, but I must have materials with which to work. Creation requires sacrifice. Before Bestla could reply, a scream rose from a nearby thicket of hares. She turned to see Vile, suspended in the air, pinched between two massive fingers and clinging for dear life to one of the giant's hairs. Odin leapt into action. He sprinted to the hair that Vile was holding onto, clambering up it until he was next to the enormous fingers. He opened his mouth and bit down on the finger. The giant loosened his grip and Odin pulled his brother free. Bestla cried with relief and ran to her sons, who were panting on the ground. She clutched Vila to her breast and looked to Odin. There was a look of determination in his icy blue eyes. Ymir's grandson Odin is the most significant figure in the Norse pantheon. He is the Allfather, the god of wisdom, poetry, death, royalty, battle, sorcery, shamanism, and outlaws. He's the leader of the gods, a symbol of nobility, but also of cunning and trickery. In Old Norse, the word Odin can mean madness or ecstasy. This gets to the heart of Odin's character. He's devoted to the madness and ecstasy that was sacred to Norse life, the fervor of battle, the intoxicating liquor of poetry, the pursuit of wisdom. Odin can be dangerous and violent, but above all, he is powerful. Odin makes it his mission to acquire more and more spiritual power. He goes on shamanistic journeys in search of knowledge. He gave his eye to Mimer's well for wisdom. And he hung himself from Egdrasi, the world tree, for nine days to gain the knowledge of the runes. If Ymir is a force of chaotic spiritual power, Odin is the opposite. He builds an arsenal of mystical objects, using them to build the universe. 
But as Emir's story tells us, creating order out of chaos requires great sacrifices. Odin breathed heavily as he pulled himself up over the body of the sleeping giant. On either side of him, his brothers Ve and Vile struggled through the waist-high thicket of fine hairs at the back of the giant's neck. Their progress was slowed by the fact that each boy only had one free hand to climb with. It took all three of them to carry the enormous shard of jagged ice they had brought with them. Acquiring the weapon was no easy feat. Odin had journeyed further into Nilhamer than ever before, until he reached a massive glacier. Upon reaching the summit, he found the shard. He just hoped that it was sharp enough to pierce the giant's flesh. Bestla begged her son not to go through with the murder. She wept and beat her breast, but Odin would not abandon his plan. His dream of a world teeming with life was inching closer to becoming a reality. Sacrifices had to be made. The three brothers crested the rim of the giant's neck, taking care not to step into the crater-sized pores. Odin's face flushed with excitement. His body could sense the violence that was to come, and he liked it. Finally, they came to the gentle slope of one of the giant's veins. Odin motioned to Vile and Ve. He knelt down, holding on to the end of the blade where it would pierce the giant's skin. His brothers moved into position behind him, carrying the broad end of the blade. Odin held up a hand. For a tense moment, he teetered on the verge of frenzy, forgetting even to breathe. Then he gave the signal, and together, the three brothers plunged the ice fragment into the giant's neck. Odin dragged the shard forward, leaving his brothers behind and carrying the weight of the ice on his shoulders as though he were plowing a field. He opened a deep gash in the vein, screaming, Odin owns ye all. A great torrent of blood began to pour forth from the vein, like a dam being released. Odin clung to the gaping wound to keep from being washed away. When he opened his mouth in a frenzied scream, he sucked in a lungful of the giant's blood. It tasted good. If he had looked behind him, he would have seen his brothers already swept away in the great tide of blood. But Odin had forgotten them and kept sawing at Ymir's neck. He had to finish the job. Odin climbed down into the wound and crawled along the edge of it, holding his blade out in front of him. The hot blood was melting the ice shard, and it was growing smaller by the second. Finally, he reached the other side of the giant's massive neck vein and cut his way out. Blood spurted forth from the new wound. Odin rolled onto his back, still breathing heavily from the exertion. Then his eyes widened as a dark shadow overcame him. Ymir's massive hand was reaching for Odin. 
Odin jumped up and sprinted across the giant's neck. If only he could just reach another vein before Ymir could catch him. Then he could spill more blood and the giant might collapse. Behind him, the massive hand closed around the opened wound, momentarily stifling the gushing river of blood that jettisoned out from the giant's neck. Odin leapt over pores and hairs, finally reaching another vein. He knelt down and began to saw with what was left of the shard. More blood came gushing out. Odin glanced behind him, seeing the giant's other hand groping for him. Looking down, he saw that the blade had melted to a nub. He threw it aside, closed his eyes, and took hold of the giant's flesh. Then he began to tear. The skin ripped apart, releasing an ocean of blood. Odin allowed himself to be swept away. His work was done. Bestla paced back and forth. The other giants were sleeping, but she knew she couldn't sleep until the deed was done and her sons had returned to her safe and sound. She glanced towards the giant Emir, who loomed above her. They had left hours ago. Shouldn't they be back by now? As she gazed up at the giant, she heard a sound. At first, it was just a soft buzz, but as it grew louder, it turned into a thunderous roar. Bestla smelled the sharp tang of iron in the air as a shadow fell over her. She looked up to see a wave of blood crashing down. Next, the world is born. Now back to the story. Odin had cut the giant Ymir's neck, releasing an ocean of blood. Now he held his breath and tried to keep from being swept under the furious pull of the churning liquid. As he lifted his head for a gasp of air, he glimpsed Ymir's gigantic corpse floating in the red water. While much of the giant was soon submerged, Vast stretches of his limbs, shoulders, and head poked out of the Red Sea. The first giant, the first being ever to exist, was dead. A new world was ready to be born. The gigantic being whose body creates the Earth is a common theme of creation myths from all over the world. There's the ancient Chinese figure of Pan Ku, who created the earth from his body and the great rivers of China from his blood. Another is the ancient Persian deity Geomart, who upon his death turned into the metals of the earth. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, God creates Eve from one of Adam's ribs. Often these characters are born through passivity and inaction. In some stories, the original being just exists. How they began is not explained. Alternatively, some first beings are formed through a gradual process of environmental change. This is the case with Emir, who's made by the slow drip of melting snow. Creation figures will frequently take the form of a gigantic human who is both male and female 
and usually their death is required in order for the Earth to be created and for humans to be born. The Swiss psychologist Carl Gustav Jung coined a phrase for these beings. He called them the cosmic man. Jung saw the cosmic man as an elemental expression of human purpose. He believed that the cosmic man was subconsciously present in every human mind. It was a symbol of the goal to exist in a state of oneness with all other humans and with the Earth itself. It might be strange to see that essential purpose in the violent character of Emir, but for the story's intended audience, that violence held deep significance. Early Norse peoples led an existence of incredible brutality, marked by hard labor, disease, war, and death. The terrain they called home held countless dangers of its own, from freezing temperatures to wild animals. Violence seemed to be a part of the very land itself. As a result, many Norse myths were ways of coping with, justifying, and understanding that violence. Odin, for instance, is known to favor warriors for killing a lot of people, because that's how he can reap the most souls to keep him company on the battlefields of Valhalla. For Ymir, the violence is twofold. First, there's the brutality represented by Ymir themselves, an explanation for the essential violence of the Scandinavian landscape. Second, there's the act of murder perpetuated by Odin, something that is done in an attempt to bring order into a chaotic world. Odin kills Ymir, but he also gives the giant a purpose by turning their body into a home for the human race. But as we'll soon see, he had no idea what he was getting into. Odin clung to Ymir's toe, searching the ocean of blood for any sign of his family. His heart leapt as he saw a raft of ice floating toward him, carrying several large figures. As they drifted closer, Odin recognized them as the frost giant Birgamir and his wife. And they weren't alone. Odin unleashed a howl of joy as the two small figures huddled on the raft leapt to their feet. It was his brothers, Vile and Ve. They had clung to each other as they were washed away in the flood, and by some miracle, they had both survived. As the ice raft passed Ymir's foot, Birgamir reached out a hand and pulled Odin on board. Odin embraced his brothers and then asked if anyone had seen his mother. The frost giant shook his head and gave a heavy sigh. They are all dead. The wave came upon them and they did not even have time to run. I would not have survived if I had been camped where they were. Luckily, we were upstream from the tide and had time to save ourselves with this raft. Odin's heart sank. He had known that great sacrifices came at a cost. He had sparked the creation of a new world. He had not expected to feel quite so empty when it happened. And even as the world began to fill with life, this emptiness clawed at the back of his mind. But the creation of the world was a thing to behold. Emir's flesh ripped and tore, falling from his bones and spreading over the water. 
As it settled, it formed continents and islands. Beneath the flesh, his bones cracked and twisted, jutting into the air. They formed the first hills and mountains. Around these freshly formed landmasses, the blood of the ice giant bubbled and boiled, transforming through heat into a new substance altogether. It would be called the sea, and in it lived all manner of creatures. Odin knew that this would be the land of men, that the gods would need their own home. The giant's skull was lifted above this new plain, swirling and expanding to become a realm all its own. Asgard, the heavens. Finally, from the remaining viscera, new creatures sprang forth into the world. They were the dwarves, and though they were unrefined now, their works would be anything but. They journeyed to the center of this new realm, ready to make a home of their own. And so a new order came into being. Many gods and men would follow. Asgard was filled with the likes of Thor, Balda, Freya, and Tyr. Their adventures were legend. Thor in particular was known for slaying giants, just as his father Odin had slayed the original giant. His hammer Mjolnir was the bane of these creatures. Every time they came close to threatening the gods of Asgard, Thor arrived to put them down. All of the gods brought Odin joy, but there was one who reminded him of that emptiness he felt when he first willed the world into being. Loki, the god of mischief, the son of giants. For eons, he schemed and played tricks, making the lives of the gods difficult. Many wondered why Odin didn't simply remove him from Asgard, and in truth, Odin did not fully have an answer. But he felt that on some level, Loki was his atonement for what he had done to breathe life into the world. He was Ymir's revenge, a reincarnation of the chaos that had come before. And by staying in Asgard, by playing his tricks, Loki reminded Odin every day that all of his beautiful creations would also pass. Gods and men, land and sea, with enough time, everything would be as Ymir, dust and bones upon which the next civilization would be formed. Even the gods were not eternal. The order they represented was but a temporary construct before chaos resumed its grip on reality. Ymir would rise again. King Gilvi stared in awe at the three wise men, listening along with the rest of the hall to the epic story. He had become so engrossed in their tale that it was as though he had lost his sense of time and place. He felt that he had gone on a long voyage, that he himself had lived through the slaying of the giant Emir. Gilvi turned around to look at the hall behind him. Every person in the room, the warriors with their broadswords and the maidens with their jugs of ale, had their eyes fixed on him. Each one wore the same eerie smile on their face. The men at the table began to laugh. 
a strangely hollow sound that seemed to bounce around the hall and multiply as the others in the hall joined in. A deafening, grinding sound filled the air. Gilvy clapped his hands over his ears and sank to his knees. Then the world went black. When Gilvy woke, he found himself laying in the middle of an empty field. He stood up, warily rubbing a finger against his pounding temple. He was in the same valley, standing right where the Great Hall should have been, but there was nothing there. The field was wild and untamed. There was not a trace of the stone fortification, the Great Hall with its bronze doors, or the roof with its golden shields. As Gilvy dusted himself off and turned toward home, he realized that there was one thing that hadn't disappeared. The face in the mountain still gazed up at the sky, eerily alive, its mouth open in a silent scream. One of the fundamental questions of human existence is how we deal with the chaos of the universe. The world is unpredictable. In ancient times, this seemed even more so. The Vikings could build as many halls and forts as they wanted. They could create laws and obey leaders, but eventually buildings fall, laws are broken, and leaders are killed. Chaos always wins out in the end. Emir and the race of giants that they spawned represented all that was disordered in the universe. The most common narrative in Norse mythology is that of the gods triumphing over the giants. The gods win the raw and chaotic power of the giants and use it to create order. But the Norse people were well aware that that was not the end of the story. They believed that eventually, a time would come when the rule of the gods would end. They called it Ragnarok, or the Twilight of the Gods. At Ragnarok, the giants would tear down the wall that Odin and his brothers built out of Ymir's eyebrows. In the final battle, the gods would be defeated, and all of creation would sink into a great sea. Some scholars don't interpret the death of Ymir as a true death. They posit that the Vikings considered Ymir to be in a state of stasis. The giant is not quite dead or alive, but waiting in a sort of limbo for the human world to crumble. Chaos is violent, terrifying, and destructive. But as the Norse people understood, it is only through chaos that creation is possible. They saw the end of the world not simply as a tragic inevitability, but as the natural entropy of the universe. They foretold that the mountains, trees, rivers, and oceans would fall away. Perhaps then, Ymir would scream into the void once more. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Norse mythology, amongst the many sources we used, we found the website Norse Mythology for Smart People and the videos of Dr. Jackson Crawford to be extremely helpful to our research. 
You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Zoe Luisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mythical Monsters.